This is the World in Brief from The Economist. Our top stories. Vladimir Zelensky, Ukraine's president, warned of hideous Russian provocations and brutal strikes ahead of his country's Independence Day on Wednesday. The day also marks the six-month anniversary of Russia's invasion. America is expected to announce a fresh package of military aid worth $3 billion. Separately, the UN's nuclear watchdog said it would assess security at Zaporizhia, the site of Europe's largest nuclear plant, and intense shelling over the next few days. Japan's Prime Minister, Kishida Fumio, said on Wednesday that his country will consider building a new generation of nuclear power reactors as it prepares to restart plants left idle since the Fukushima disaster of 2011. The global surge in energy prices helped prompt an about-face. There remains work to be done, Mr Kishida implied, in convincing the public that this counts towards Japan's green transformation. Thailand's Constitutional Court suspended the Prime Minister, Prayuth Chanocha, in response to a petition filed by the main opposition party. Move Forward argues that Mr Prayuth, who seized power in a coup in 2014, should step down this month in line with the Constitution's eight-year term limit. The Deputy Prime Minister, Pravit Wongsuwan, is expected to take over as interim leader. A general election is due by May 2023. Democrats voting in Florida chose a former Republican governor of the state, Charlie Crist, as their champion in the race to unseat the incumbent Republican, Ron DeSantis. Mr DeSantis is popular and often mentioned hopefully as an alternative to Donald Trump in future presidential races. Democrats also opted for Val Demings as their challenger for the Senate. She will face Marco Rubio, whom Mr Trump bested in 2016. An EU agency warned on Tuesday that Europe faces its worst drought in 500 years. The European Drought Observatory said that 47% of the Union's landmass is subject to the warning, with vegetation affected in 17%. Riverine shipping, hydropower and agriculture are all under strain. Concomitant droughts in America, Britain and China mean that international markets offer little relief. Intel struck a deal worth $30 billion with Brookfield, a Canadian asset management firm, to finance factory construction in the state of Arizona. Under the agreement, the American chipmaker would fund 51% of the cost, but the two firms would split revenues from the new factories. Intel is hoping to regain a manufacturing advantage over its competitors in Taiwan and South Korea. The Adani Group a sprawling Indian conglomerate, bought up 29% of NDTV, the country's most prominent English-language news broadcaster, and opened a bid to secure a majority stake. Gautam Adani, the group's chairman, who recently became the richest man in Asia, enjoys close ties to India's Prime Minister, Narendra Modi. NDTV, which has maintained a rare reputation of editorial independence, complained that the bid was hostile. And fact of the day. 2.9. The number of children the average Israeli woman has. Her British and French peers have 1.6 and 1.8, respectively.
And now here's a deeper look at the day ahead. Six months of Russia's war in Ukraine. Wednesday marks the sixth month anniversary of Russia's invasion of Ukraine. Russia has failed to meet any of its military objectives, conquering Kiev, the capital, capturing the eastern Donbass region, or seizing Ukraine's coastline. Around 15,000 Russians have been killed, according to the Pentagon, roughly the same number that died in the Soviet Union's decade-long occupation of Afghanistan. The front lines have barely moved in recent weeks, though Ukraine hopes to push Russian troops out of Kherson, a city in the south, in the coming months. Both armies are exhausted. The Kremlin's gamble is that America and European support for Ukraine will fall away over the winter, as spiraling gas prices pile on domestic pressures. That, in turn, could pave the way for a deal that leaves perhaps one-fifth of the country in Russian hands. Ukraine, unwilling to see its dismemberment, will hit back with rocket strikes and partisan activity. No one thinks the war will be over by Christmas. Chipping at NVIDIA's Bottom Line NVIDIA, one of the world's leading chip companies, reports its financial results on Wednesday. They will be dire. So bad, in fact, that the firm offered a preview earlier this month, hoping to dampen the shock to the markets. The Californian company said it expected to book revenues of $6.7 billion in the second financial quarter, down 19% from the same period last year, and 17% lower than the $8.1 billion it had forecast in May. The culprit is weaker post-pandemic demand for electronics, especially high-end gaming systems, for which NVIDIA supplies powerful graphics chips. Many of those cards had also been used to mine cryptocurrencies, but the crypto meltdown has snapped demand here, too. NVIDIA's rivals, Intel, Qualcomm, and AMD, have also missed revenue forecasts. On his earnings call, Jensen Huang, NVIDIA's CEO, will be trying hard to show investors a path back to growth. Oil and Toil Elections in Angola For nearly three decades, the People's Movement for the Liberation of Angola, MPLA, Angola's ruling party, fought an on-off civil war with the National Union for the Total Independence of Angola, UNITA. The MPLA won in 2002, ushering in a period of peace and multi-party democracy. On Wednesday, the southern African country will hold its fifth general election. There are few other reasons to celebrate, though. President Joao Lorenzo, who replaced José Eduardo dos Santos in 2017, on pledges to cut back, graft, and reform the economy, has disappointed. Angolans are frustrated that their oil-dependent state serves only a small elite, leaving the majority in poverty. Such sentiment has bolstered support for UNITA. Yet it is unlikely to defeat the MPLA, which has used its hold on the state apparatus to hobble the opposition. That leaves free reign to the paranoid party dominated by securocrats 
spouting revolutionary rhetoric while gorging on the fruits of crony capitalism. Britain reigns in the hosepipes. Britain, like much of the world, is parched. July this year was the driest since 1935. On Wednesday, Thames Water, London's main water utility, will impose a hosepipe ban on its 15 million customers to curtail the cleaning of cars, filling of pools, and watering of gardens. Other water companies across southern England and Wales have already taken similar steps. Water firms reckon such measures typically cut usage by around 10%, but evidence suggests that the less radical measure of simply informing people about their water consumption could help more. Almost half of respondents to a survey in 2020 said they used less than 20 liters a day. The true figure is closer to 150 liters. Water meters typically reduce usage by around 15%, but are deployed in only 60% of British homes. They can help identify leaks, too. Nearly one-fifth of Britain's drinking water is lost to burst pipes, which become more frequent in extreme heat. Welsh football goes to Hollywood. It was the kind of change of fate that usually only strikes in films. In September 2020, Ryan Reynolds, star of Deadpool, and Rob McElhaney, the creator of It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia, a sitcom, announced their intention to buy Wrexham FC. The club, the oldest in Wales, was languishing in the fifth tier of Britain's football leagues. The Hollywood actors were not lifelong footy fans. They had no experience running such an institution. We had no direct connection, Mr. McElhenney told a supporter. It was just a feeling. Mr. McElhenney also said that Wrexham reminded him of the working-class Philadelphia of his childhood. Naturally, the pair brought along a camera crew to chart the ups and downs of their inaugural season. On Wednesday, Welcome to Wrexham, the resulting docuseries, premieres in America on FX. One day later, it will be released in Britain on Disney+. The series is poignant and often funny. Wrexham's fans and staff have high hopes for their club under its new management. Mr. Reynolds, too, hopes it will triumph on the field. It's an underdog story, he says. And it still is. Since the takeover, Wrexham have remained in the fifth tier. Daily Quiz Our baristas will serve you a new question each day this week. On Friday, your challenge is to give us all five answers and, as important, tell us the connecting theme. Email your responses and include mention of your home city and country by 1700 BST on Friday to quizespresso at economist.com. We'll pick randomly from those with the right answers and crown one winner per continent on Saturday. Wednesday Who was the British Foreign Secretary during the 2003 Iraq War? Tuesday. What was the traditional nickname for IBM, based on its logo? Finally, here's the quote of the day from Jorge Luis Borges, who died on this day in 1899. To die for a religion 
is easier than to live it absolutely. That's The World in Brief from The Economist, available three times every day of the week. You can also hear interviews and analysis from our journalists, including our current affairs podcast, The Intelligence, on your podcast app. And subscribers to The Economist have access to each week's full edition in audio. Just download The Economist app to start listening.